Good morning. So I wanted to take a second uh, here when we get started today. Uh, we have a number of people in the body who are not feeling well, and I assume they're at home watching us online or sleeping or whatever. They, they will be soon once I start preaching. So, um, But I want to take a minute and pray for those folks because we just, there's a number of folks. I know apparently Julie Cook has been in bed for three days. If you know Julie Cook, she's never been in bed for three days in her life or three hours that I know of. And so... Um, Let's pray. Father, we just lift up uh, those who are not feeling well, Lord, those who are sick, those who are suffering, those who are quarantined, those who uh, are going through things. This is kind of that time of year, Lord, where we we find out one of those aspects of the fallen world, which is that we get sick. And uh, I just pray that you would heal. Uh, We trust you for healing. We have people in in the church who are suffering from even more grave issues, cancer. Uh, difficulties of that kind, uh, ulcers, <laughs> stuff that is, uh, is significant and serious. And God, we pray for healing. And we believe you for healing. Your will be done, whatever it is, Lord. But we ask you for healing. We thank you for these people, Lord. And I thank you for everyone that's here this morning as we get into your word. In your name, amen. If you're new here today, and some of you I haven't seen before, uh, and so welcome. Welcome to Axe Church. And when I say, well, yeah, give them a welcome. Now, back in the day, there were churches that would like make all the new people stand up. And like, what a great way to keep people, right? Like, so I can stand up in front of everybody I don't know and tell you about myself. No, we're not going to do that today. Except, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to pick one of you. Uh, I just want to tell you a little bit about who we are. And when I say Axe Church, I'm talking about the people who are sitting around here, some people who are online this morning, uh, a group of people called to be together uh, as the body of Christ, uh, called to what we would call this local expression of the body of Christ. We have a number of other, there's other churches in town, um, all each, each one called to do their own uh, thing, uh, which is to say to fulfill the mission of a Christ follower in the way that they've been called to do based on who they have, who has been called to that church. And we have people who have been called to this church. And so if you're new, one of the things you should be thinking about is, am I called to be part of this local expression of the body of Christ? Is that why God's got me sitting here this morning or watching online this morning or whatever it may be? Uh, Because we get together as a body, as the body of Christ to worship as we just got done doing, to praise God for all that he's done. And then we get together to study the Word of God, the Bible, the Scripture, uh, because that is an incredibly important part of our life. We trust the Bible as God's revelation to us. I want you to just think for a second, if you're a Christ follower, can you imagine what it would be like to live life without the Bible? If we did not have the Bible, you know, people want to know God. They want to feel close to God. They want to feel like they're in a relationship with God. But without his word, we would have, I mean, this is a lot of words that he gave us. And what a blessing that it is. I I don't know how often I think about the scripture that way. Where I think, if I didn't, like, how precious is this? If I didn't have this, I wouldn't know much about who God is. Uh, I, I know, for instance, that I have the mind of Christ. That means that I can think about the things I deal with in life and the world and the scriptures with the mind of Christ. Of course, I wouldn't know that if I didn't have the scriptures that told me that, that as a Christ follower, I have the mind of Christ. You're going to find lots of people, especially around here, because we live in a very beautiful area of the country, who will say things like, oh yeah, that's cool that you go to church or whatever, read the Bible. I sort of commune with God by going out on a hike and like seeing the lakes and the mountains and the deer and and whatever. And I'm not making fun of that. There's an aspect to where God's creation is beautiful, and we can see things about him in his creation. But looking at lakes and mountains and rivers and calling that a relationship with God is like looking at your iPhone and calling that a relationship with Steve Jobs, right? Yes, I can see something that he was involved in making. That doesn't mean that I know him. And so as Steve Jobs, who's passed away, could have spoken and talked to you if you really wanted to know him, God has spoken and talked to you in his word. And so to say that you know him because you like to go kind of get feelings here or there uh, in nature or you call yourself spiritual or whatever it happens to be, which we see a lot of in this culture, is missing completely the point that the word of God is there. 
His word has been revealed to us and that we have him. So we take it very, very seriously. This isn't just a place to get a good cup of coffee and maybe make a few friends. This is a place to get a great cup of Honduran coffee, which we make every week. <laughs> and, uh, and to make more friends than you've ever thought about making before and to have a life, a full life. Uh, this, is, this is a family. We do all that in the context of knowing God and growing in God and knowing the scripture and growing and knowing him through the scripture and worshiping and praising and all of those things that we do together as a family, as a body, every single person with a mission to fulfill, every one of you with a mission to fulfill. That brings me to our study for today. We have been in the identity series asking questions about who we are, who God is, how we connect and how we are in relationship with him, what it means to be a human being, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a young person, what it means, all of these kinds of things. We've been looking at this for quite a long time. And the scripture has, as we've studied it, given us answers to many of those things. I thought I would finish this in 2021, but I thought I would finish a lot of things in 2021. And I've still, like around the house, I've still got a multitude. So we've still got this too. Um, and I think we'll get through today and end the identity series. But I make no promises to you because you know what those would be worth uh, once I start preaching. So um, in the last couple studies, we have looked at a couple of charts, a few charts that have shown us some profound differences the first uh, main difference being the difference between who we are uh, as Christ followers versus the world who does not know or follow Christ. And so we started out with this first chart, and it just shows us as humans. Everybody here, if you're listening, if you can understand this, you're a human. Okay? Even if you can't understand it, you're probably a human. Uh, but you're a human, and that, is, that means some important things that we've talked about in the Scripture, that you're made in the image and likeness of God, that you're eternal that you weren't made to just live and die and be no more. You're an eternal person. And that you're valuable. Every single one of you, that is the case. No matter what anyone else has told you, no matter what the world has told you, you have been knit together in your mother's womb, made by God for his will. The second chart sort of sharpens our identity into the two groups I just talked about, the Christ follower and the unbeliever. Now this is an important division. Asking yourself the question, am I a Christ follower or am I an unbeliever? Am I saved from my sin? Now the good news is God has done everything that he could do to save you. You think the world is bad, the world is tough. How could God let bad things happen to good people? There's a couple problems with that. I don't know any good people and God's not the one making things happen. You are and I am. Okay, but if you ask him, well, what, what's he going to do about it? Well, he did everything anyone could do about it. He's given you every opportunity. He came himself as a human being, the God of the universe who created everything and died for you and rose again. He's done everything. And this is what it says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you're going to make him Lord of your life and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the dividing line. Unbeliever, Christ follower, that's where the line divides. It is an important line. Confessing him as Lord of your life and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead is the dividing line of your eternal destiny. It's that simple. I can't make it any simpler, but it doesn't mean it's not difficult because you got to count the cost when you make Jesus Lord. It's a significant thing. You are eternally his or you eternally reject him and end up in hell, away from him. Those are your choices. There's not another way. There's no third way. There's no fourth way. There's no all roads lead to heaven. There's no nirvana. There's no reincarnation. There's no whatever. You know, I don't know what the Scientologists believe, some sort of alien thing. Whatever that happens to be. No offense if you're, well, I don't care if you're offended if you're Scientologist. You, it's, it's wrong, okay? It's wrong. Here's the thing. I, I still love you, though. Listen, there is nothing else. There is nothing else. This is what Jesus says, John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There isn't another door. Jesus is the door. That's it. That's all that there is. If you remember nothing else that I said today, do not forget that, especially if you're sort of, I'm checking this out. I have my questions and my doubts. We love questions and doubts, by the way. We understand that you know how to read and that this is a complicated book and that you may have questions and doubts about it. We'd love to talk about that. 
But at the end of the day, you need to come against this. Unbeliever, Christ follower. That is the difference between your destiny. That is the division from human. The next division is right there. Do I belong to God or do I not? Am I a slave to sin, a slave to Satan, a slave to evil, a slave to all of those things, unable to control those things? Or am I in Christ, free from all those things, who's defeated sin and Satan and death and hell and all those things? Which one are you? You got to understand that. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's where we are. That's the time period we're in. This time period will come to an end. And that ability for you to be saved is not going to be the same thing. But right now, God is calling out. Be reconciled to God. Confess and repent and follow him. And put yourself in that category through the power of the Holy Spirit, of Christ follower, of having everlasting life instead of the opposite, which is essentially everlasting death. That's who you need to be. In the third chart, we see our identity further broken out into our place as individuals in the body of Christ. So human, Christ follower, gifts and calling. You'll notice that on the unbeliever side, you don't have gifts and calling. That's not because there are no gifts for an unbeliever. Obviously, you probably know unbelievers who are gifted at this, that, or the other thing. But there's a real issue about what their gifts mean and the eternal value of their gifts. You'll have to go back and watch identity number 10 on YouTube or on the app if you want to see what we had to say about that. I don't have time to redo that today. But let's talk about the Christ follower, the gifts of the Christ follower. Before we study gifting, I have to give sort of a warning from something I've seen. There is, there's nothing wrong with wanting to know your gifts. In fact, you ought to want to know your gifts. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to use them for the Lord. You should want that. That's a thing that you should want. But there is something off with being overly focused on your own gifts. And more importantly, on your own self. I have seen that. I've noticed that, that people who struggle a lot, people who struggle with feeling down and feeling bad, are often people who, when it comes down to it, seem to think about themselves too much. You may have noticed you have some people in your life who all you ever talk about is them and their problems. And the reason isn't because necessarily their problems are worse than yours, but that they focus on them all the time. You can do the same thing with gifts. You can think about, you can get lost in your own giftings and your own abilities. Last time that we studied in this series, an identity, uh, we looked at the command in the Bible, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Another principle would not just be don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but don't think of yourself more often than you ought. Don't think of yourself more often than you ought. People can get seriously microscopic in their own self-assessment, just honing in and honing in and honing in on who they are, focusing on their own struggle or their pain or their past or their personality or even their own giftings, and then get microscopic with that and they lose focus on everything else because they're so keyed in on themselves. Sometimes, as an internet, com internet commenter said, we need to zoom out. Zoom out of that microscopic self-assessment and see the other people around us who are called to serve. Remember what Jesus says about, hey, you came and saw me in prison. You gave me something to drink. You gave me something to wear. You gave me something to eat. And they're like, what? When did we do any of that? And he's like, whenever you did it for the least of one of these, you did it for me. You've got to be outwardly focused to know even that other people have needs. If all you can ever think about is your own needs or even your own gifts, you're losing yourself in yourself instead of in Christ. We should not wallow in self-reflection. It's not going to bring the joy that comes from focusing on God and focusing on those who he has called for us to love and to serve. Now, I am not suggesting that you should never spend time in self-reflection. Some of you really do need to spend more time in self-reflection. Uh, I'm saying, and I do too, I, I do too. I'm saying that when you do, when we do, it should be in prayer, 
and contemplation and studying God's word. Any other method of self-reflection is a waste of time if you want to think clearly about yourself and have real understanding. This, this is God's word. This is what helps us to understand ourselves. We look into the perfect mirror of the law and we see ourselves in it. And then we don't go away and forget what we saw, but we remember it and we grow as God sharpens us. That is how it works. God has promised us things, some pretty great, amazing things. And we should have those things occupy our thoughts and our focus. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Whatever you're going through, whatever's going on, whatever the deal is, you have a promise from God that ultimately, eternally, remember you're eternal. God is going to work everything out for good. The, def the definitive uh, character of your life, your eternal life, you will see only good. In the end, which there is no end for you because you're eternal, but for the majority of your existence, which will be with Jesus, you will look back and forward in every which way and see that everything was worked out together for good. Remember that when you go through what's difficult. It's a thing we're thinking about. Excess self-reflection can just easily become selfishness. And selfishness isn't getting you closer to God or anyone else. I'm, I'm just mentioning that because there are folks who can be tempted towards or lean in the direction of obsessing over even gifts. And so, just wanted to mention that. But, the cool part is this. It is really cool that God has gifted us. I think you should be excited about that. I think that, especially if you don't always feel like you're very gifted, and I see this a lot, uh, you are gifted. You are gifted. You're gifted by God. You've been given gifts. There's no doubt about it. Every single Christ follower has been given gifts. You are gifted. If you're a Christ follower, you're saved, you're redeemed, you're justified, you're sanctified, you have everlasting life with God, you're called, and you have good works to do. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We need to understand the enormity of that truth. We are his workmanship. His workmanship. God, the creator of the universe, okay? The one who is literally keeping us existing right now. The one who made every star. You know, they're putting the new telescope out there and they're going to see even further than they've ever seen. They're going to see all these stars and all this stuff. God has made all of that. All of that. And yet he looked at you and he said, I'm going to fashion this person. This person is going to be my workmanship. And that applies to every one of you. Every one of you. You're not a number. It's easy to feel that way in the world. You're not some ra random, like evolved monkey person. That's not who you are. It's not how it works. You are the created workmanship of God, period. That's what he tells you. It's a really confusing concept for many of us, especially if you've been treated badly, if you've been ignored, if you've been abandoned, if you've been ridiculed, if you've experienced failure, if you've had people that were not kind to you, if you had parents who weren't great, if you had a marriage that went sideways, whatever it may be, you may be, well, if I'm this workmanship, why have I been treated this way? Why do I feel the way that I do? Let me tell you why. The reason things like that happen is because people do not understand this truth that we're studying. If they did, you wouldn't be treated that way. We understand it here. Doesn't mean no mistakes are ever made, but we understand every one of you is the workmanship of God created for good works that you should walk in them, that were prepared beforehand for you. It's amazing. These other people, they don't understand who God is. They don't understand who they are, and they don't understand who you are. And so you ought not to listen to them. You ought not to allow them to make you feel about yourself a way which is not true when God says, I've made you, I've fashioned you, you're my workmanship, I've gifted you, I've called you, and I've given you works to do that I've already prepared for you. And somebody else says, I don't really like you. And you go, well, I think the other guy is, knows more than you, right? <laughs> he's, he's a little smarter than you. And this is what he says about me and about you, by the way. 
That's the life that you've got to live. You've been created by him. You're his workmanship. You're not an afterthought. It's not like God's like, oh, that person, that's right. They're around. No. He thinks about you even more than you think about you. Even those of you who self-reflect too much, he thinks about you more than you think about you. All good thoughts. All good thoughts. Psalm 144.3, Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him? Or the son of man that you are mindful of him? It's a reasonable question by the psalmist. You look at the universe as he says, I look, the work of your hands, the sun, the moon, the stars, a tree, a squirrel, a puppy, whatever. There's all these things. And then there's all of us walking around and God is mindful of you as an individual, of me as an individual. That is an incredible thought. That's why the psalmist expresses it here. Why would you think about it? And yet he does. Knows every hair on your head. Knows everything you'll ever do. Has planned good works for you. Yours workmanship. It's a pretty amazing concept. He's taught us about so much that he created us in Christ Jesus for good works. That's amazing the thinking that he must have for us. I can't create much of anything. If you know me very well and it's craft time, craft time doesn't go well for me, okay? (laughs) Drawing time doesn't go well for me, okay? If I need to make something crafty, there's a couple, I go go to my mom, she's a crafty person. I go to Lori, she's a fantastic artist. She'll craft things. I'll look at them and be like, I don't even know how you did that. If I had tried to do that, it would be something that you would be dumber for having seen. That's how bad it is. You'd be like, I think I just lost IQ points from looking at this thing that you tried to make. It's that bad. It's really bad. If I try to draw, people are like, what is, you should see me in Pictionary. It's usually pretty funny. Yeah, it causes a lot of laughing. And it's not laughing with me. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) But God has created you. He's not like me. He's creative in a way that you could ever imagine. He's perfect in all his ways. If you are in Christ, you were created for good works that have been prepared for you. Some of you might be thinking, well, I don't know. I'm too old. I'm too old. Or I'm too broken. Whatever you had prepared for me, it's too late. I've messed up too much. I've done too many terrible things. Or God could never use me. If you are a Christ follower and you think that, let me just tell you something. You are wrong. You are wrong. You are telling God that he's not telling the truth, and you don't want to do that because he's been very clear about this. This is for every Christ follower. There's only one quality that you need to have if, to know the truth that God has good works prepared beforehand for you that you should walk in. There's only one thing you have to have. Be alive. If you're alive and you're a Christ follower, he's got stuff for you to do. Period. He's got stuff for you to do. If you're still walking, you're still breathing, if you're not walking, if you're breathing, he's got stuff for you to do. This passage applies to you. There are good works for you to do. This is a responsibility as well as an amazing truth. You need to understand this. If you're wa- Don't say to God, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too broken. Don't say those things to God because he's going to say, I told you I have things for you. You don't tell me you can't do it. You're doing it through my power. Who do you think you are to think that you're not good enough for me when I died for you? I don't care if you're a drug addict or an alcoholic or have a sex problem or a liar or a thief. If you submit to God, he will show you your gifts and his good works for you to do. I don't care. You know. Yes, turn from those things and turn to God. He has works for you to do. You will never be disqualified from the things for which he qualifies you for. That's what grace is about. Let's listen to this. 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. It's a cool phrase. Manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks... Let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is not about you. This is about God. This is not about you being good enough. Good enough, I'm smart enough. 
and doggone it, people like me, right? It's not about you. It's about God and through him, you. It's about what he can do through you in relationship. It's not about whether you can make it happen yourself. You do it with his ability, with his strength. We read here in the word of God, as we just read, as each one has received a gift, that doesn't leave anyone out. If you're a Christ follower, this scripture is talking to you and is saying every one of you has received a gift. Many gifts, actually, in most cases. Each one of you, you have a gift. You ever received like a really special gift? Something really, really nice? Maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. Let's just imagine that I was going to give you some gifts today, like going to do the Oprah thing. Like, you get one, you get one, whatever. Okay, let's just say I was going to do that. I'm going to give you a new car. I'm going to give you a new mansion, private jet, private island. It's all going to be yours, okay? You're going to get all those things today from me. If I did that, I'm guessing you would value those gifts. I hope you would treasure them. Because it's really going to cost us a month's wages for me to do that for all of you, you know? <laughs> those would be special gifts, right? God has given you so much more than that. You know how when people have something like, kind of that like first world problems thing, and you see somebody and they're like, they've got no money problems. They've got, their kids are doing, the whole thing's going well. And they're like, oh, things are just so hard. I just can't even. And you're going, dude, like I can't pay the light bill. For those of you who aren't from the South, that means your electricity bill. In the South, we say the light bill. I can't pay the light bill. You've got everything there is, you know, while you're going, eh, your butler's like fanning you out. Like they're totally, <laughs> like they've got it all, right? No, I just can't even. You, you follow me? And you're like, what? But listen, that's us sometimes. God has given you gifts that are more valuable than you could possibly imagine. And we're just like, oh, whatever. You, you, you walk around. I walk around sometimes living in a complete lie. You are an eternal person created with gifts, with a plan, with a purpose that you should walk in them. And sometimes we're walking around going, <laughs> how is that reflecting the truth of the scriptures? It's not. It's not. Yeah. All those other things, they get old, guys. The oldest junky car out there. I'm not going to say whose I think it is. We'll talk about that. <laughs> It was once new and shiny. Now it's old. It has holes in the upholstery and it smells funny, right? But at one time, it was like, ooh, Chevy Chevette, right? <laughs> it was my first car. It was a sweet 1980 Chevy Chevette. Just called it the vet, and people went with that. Um, but it was, it was nice once, right? You're, if I give you a mansion, an island, and all these kinds of things, eventually, they would all get old. And long before that you would have gone poor from paying taxes on all of them anyway. So <laughs> stuff doesn't matter. Eternal giftings matter. The gift of your salvation and your spiritual and practical gifts, those have eternal value and significance. He has given every single Christ follower salvation from their sins. I mean, we should wake up in that every single day. I've been trying to wake up and before reaching over to the nightstand for this thing, I mean, like, how can I feel bad today? Well, let's try Facebook, right? <laughs> How can I just feel terrible? You know, oh, somebody else had this. You know, I don't, instead of doing that, I've, just been, I've been trying to wake up and not start asking for things, but just start praising God. Amen. Just waking up and praising God for who he is. And I'll tell you, it's a lot better feeling than Facebook. For some reason, I don't know why. I never found Facebook in here, but I, you wake up, you start praising God. You start recognizing what he's done for you and what he's given you and who you are in him. You start feeling a lot better. You start focusing on him and not so much on you or the problems of the world. It's amazing how your mindset changes when you have the mind of Christ, focus on Christ, doing the work of Christ. It's a very different life. It's a very different life. Everything else, the riches and the vainglory of the world, worthless passing away, burning with fire. 
like the wood, hay, and straw we talked about last time. He has given every Christ follower personal gifts. Listen to the scripture, continuing from where we were on the last study. I'll, I'll do the verse that we did last time, and then we'll move uh, kind of a little bit further through the passage. It says, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Just some, just some of the gifts, spiritual gifts that are list, listed here. If you are a Christ follower, you are part of the body of Christ. That's a significant thing. Understanding that, a couple of those things you might want to think about in the morning when you wake up as you're praising God and going, thank you for making me part of the body of Christ. That you've given me gifts and things to do in this world and purpose. Now, you don't all have the same gifts. If you've met more than one person, you know that. Your gifts are different than theirs. Their gifts are different than yours. Not that one is so much better or so much worse or whatever. You shouldn't be envying the gifts of others and wishing that you had those and don't, not liking the ones you have. That, that's all nonsense. That's not understanding anything. Your gifts are good, really good. They're really good. God has gifted each one of you uniquely, differently, according to the measure of faith that he also has gifted you. Now, the next question for each one of us is, what are our gifts. What are our gifts? Well, there are some methods for understanding what your gifts are. The first one, of course, always the first one, is go to God and ask, God, what are my gifts? Will you show me? Will you reveal to me the giftings that you've given me in my life? And then listen and let him tell you. One of the ways he might tell you is you might look at things like, what do you do? What do you do well? What have you tried? What has worked out? What hasn't worked out? What have you liked? What haven't you liked? Now, this is where Romans 12, 3 that we just read comes in, in terms of not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought, but thinking soberly, uh, because I have seen too many uh, contestants on American Idol that thought that they were gifted singers, <laughs> right? And I've seen a lot of that, and it's made me think not everybody has a good understanding of what their natural giftings are. It's always like, mom tells me I'm great. It's like, yeah. Your mom can't hear, you know. She's she got a problem because you are terrible at singing, which is not a problem, okay? Some people are terrible at singing. Some people are good at singing, not an important gift. But the same time that some people think of their gifts improperly, some people think of their gifts improperly on the other side. I've seen a lot of people struggle to believe that they're truly gifted. They don't believe they're gifted when they clearly are. Thinking soberly about yourself means both not thinking too highly and not thinking too lowly of yourself. Not more highly than you ought. doesn't mean not highly at all. Just not more highly than you ought. Because here's the deal. And this is important. If you think too lowly of yourself, you don't think that your gift, you don't think that your gifts are valuable and important. You are not honoring the workmanship of God who made you and gave you those gifts and set out beforehand good works that you should walk in them. If you say, no, I'm not gifted. And somebody says, hey, you are you are really gifted. You're really talented. You really have a, you're really blessed with this gift or that gift. And you go, no, I don't, I don't think so. What are you saying? You're saying God didn't gift you or his gift isn't valuable? No, it's okay to understand that you're gifted. In fact, if you don't understand that you're gifted, you're missing it. You should know what's on your tool belt. Each one of you has gifts. The whole point is figuring that out and then finding out how he wants you to use them in his power. Next thing I would do is ask those who are Christ followers, who serve and give and worship and study the word alongside you on a daily, on a weekly basis, people in your life, your people that are, are your accountability partners, your, the, the folks who you're living the Christ life with, go to them and say, hey, what do you see as my, will you pray and think about what you see as my gifts? Where do you see God using me? Where do you see the power of God in my life? And let them help you work through what your gifts are. It's a community process. It's how we fit. One of the things that's, that's important to me 
And, and the role that I have is seeing the giftings of other people and giving them an opportunity to use those gifts. Now, it doesn't always come as fast as they want. It doesn't always come in the way that they want and things like that. But I do believe that these things come in God's timing. But seeing other people's gifts, recognizing those gifts in them, is an incredibly important part of being part of this community in the body of Christ. So ask. Ask people. What have they seen? Over time, the workmanship of God in creation in Jesus Christ, where you were made, becomes apparent. You have spiritual gifts to be used in ministry and service and growing through the work of the Holy Spirit empowering your life within the context of this local expression of the body of Christ, maybe in the context of working with folks in Honduras, maybe in the context of many, many things. Evangelism, bringing people that, that don't know Jesus closer to him in his power. Maybe that's part of what you're doing. But you have practical gifts too. Maybe you're a gifted writer or plumber or electrician or salesperson or police officer or counselor. Or I could name hundreds of gifts here that people are gifted in to be used, not, not only within the local expression of the body of Christ, but within the local community that we're called to serve. Because we're called to serve these people, not just in here, but out there. And you're gifted in those ways as well. Hundreds, I don't know, thousands of different gifts and different combinations of gifts that God has done in his workmanship to make you unique. He's given you the gifts that are for you. They're for you. He's given each of us the gifts that are for us. And ultimately, I believe that over time, through eternity, more that is going to be sharpened and sharpened and, and refined and refined. And you and the Lord are going to have a particular relationship that is completely unique to you. And part of that is going to have to do with you understanding more and more of the workmanship with which he created you and giving praise back to him for the wonderful thing that he has created in you. you know, the scripture talks about a stone with a name. Only you know it and only he knows it. You get the secret with God. That's how close you're going to be with your Savior. And I believe part of that is understanding your gifts. You want to get closer to God? Understand who he's made you to be. That you might reflect back to him the love and praise that he deserves for the great thing he did in making you. When I see some of you or I counsel with some of you or I talk with somebody and I see this person does not value in themselves, I can tell you it's just, it just hurts me. Because I'm thinking, I think this person is so valuable. Every one of you. I'm like, this person is so special and so valuable, and they have had, the world has beat them down, people have beaten them down, they beat themselves down, whatever it happens to be, and they don't see that they're a gifted, valuable person. Listen, you are. You are. Forget about the world and all the ladders that they create. I'm above you, and you're below me. And above. That's all nonsense. You are going to have a relationship with God that you have secrets with him. You are that special. He died for you. You are valuable. You are gifted. Once we understand the glory of God and the gifts he has given us, then we have to work through the next step. And that step is, how are we to walk in the gifts and the good works he has prepared for us beforehand? How are we to do that? That's the idea of calling. Calling. Listen to this, Ephesians 4, 1 through 8. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Verse 7 But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. You have a calling. Your gifting and your calling are connected to one another. He has given you giftings and a calling that are connected to each other. You are not just out there like, oh, I hope I find something valuable to do. That's not how it is. He has something for you to do. He has something for you to do. You as a Christ follower are to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. That's how you're supposed to walk. Because Jesus Christ gave you gifts of salvation and spiritual and practical gifts. Now, I like the word vocation. Vocation. Usually you hear that in context of like vocation. That's a job. Like, what's your vocation? I'm a plumber or I'm a whatever, right? 
I'm a YouTuber. That's my vocation, whatever it is. But vocation has, the real idea here is calling and gifts connected, following the calling that you have. God is calling you, pulling you, and he's gifted you. He's given you everything you need to do it. You know, when I, when I have people that have worked for me, you know, I always want to find the person who's gifted and then give them everything they need to be able to accomplish a thing that they've been called to do. God is much better than I am at that. He's giving you everything you need. He's the one empowering you. He's the one giving you the gifts, and he has stuff for you to do. That's what vocation is all about. God is calling you. And listen, this is really, I've learned this. When God calls, you better answer. You better answer. Don't be like, oh, sorry, bad connection. I go like this, like anybody uses a phone that looks like this anymore. Sorry, God, uh, maybe we can talk later. Nope, when God calls, you better answer. You have an eternal calling as a Christ follower. You are not just following your calling now, but your calling is connected to your calling for everlasting life. It's all one. You're in him now. Yes, there will come a time if the Lord doesn't come back first and the rapture doesn't happen first, there will come a time when your body will pass away immediately to be absent with the body to be present with the Lord. It's just going to keep going. You're in, you're in the same thing now. You're in eternity. There's a sense in which your everlasting life has already started. But you've got to work in this part for the things that God has set beforehand that you should walk in the good works. God's called each one of you to a life in him. God's called each one of you to a local expression of the body of Christ. If it's not this one, you better find the one that it is because you better answer when he's calling. He's called you to good works consistent with his workmanship and your gifting. He's called you to all those things. Those works, they were prepared beforehand. You've got to think about that. He's not figuring it out. He's not like, oh, I could put this person here. I could do that. That's not how it works. Beforehand, he set out in front of you your purpose, your calling, the things that he has for you to walk in the good works. God made you for a purpose. That's the point. So a lot of people go walking around going, there is no purpose. There is no nothing, right? There's no God. The universe is somehow came from nowhere, right? Because that makes sense. Boom. Oh, look, a tree. Because that happens all the time, right? <laughs> this is science. No, that's not science. It's really bad philosophy is what that is. God made the world, right? He made the world. He fashioned it. And he's prepared beforehand a purpose and a will. You're part of his providence. You have a purpose. Because if he didn't make the world, you don't have a purpose. If classic Darwinian evolution is true, you don't have a purpose. In fact, whatever you're doing right now, you're only doing because atoms are running around in your brain and they were going to do that whether you wanted them to or not. And everything you're thinking, you're only thinking because of that. And therefore, you can't know whether what you're thinking is actually true because you're only thinking it because you have to think it because... Okay? That's not purpose. Right? That's not science. It's bad philosophy. You have a purpose. God is very clear about that. And how do we know that he told the truth? Well, because he rose from the dead. Okay? Darwin didn't do that. Nobody's done that. Just Jesus. God raised him from the dead. You're literally part of God's providence to the world. You're literally part of his plan for all of the universe. You fit into that. And he's big enough and smart enough to see exactly where you fit into that and to have fit you into that. You're not part of a small thing. You're part of a, the thing. You're part of the thing. And God has a purpose and plan for you in that eternally. So as a Christ follower, you should take your calling seriously. Psalm 119.73. Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. What, what is he saying? What's the psalmist saying? Well, the Holy Spirit's inspired him to say something very simple. Because you made me, because I'm your workmanship, because you fashioned me, help me to know what you want me to do. Give me your commands. You're the one who knows. You're the creator. I'm creation. Show me where I fit. Show me my purpose. And let me walk in it and have joy. So what is God commanding you to do? Where is God commanding you to go? Things to think about. These are all part of your calling. We submit to our identity, to our giftings, and to our vocation. Submit to it, to our calling. We are who God says we are. We do what God says to do. That should define you as a Christ follower. I am who God says I am. 
I'm going to walk in that. I'm going to do what God's called me to do. I'm going to walk in that. Sometimes what God's called you to do and what you think you want to do are not the same thing. Don't know if you ever figured that one out. I certainly have. No, no, God, I've got it. I've got it. I know, I, I know that you're saying this, but look, look, I can make it work out this way. And he's like, ah, bad things, right? It goes very badly, very badly. There is great joy in a life lived for Christ and fully submitted to him. Not so much in one that's not. Now, this life, this living for Christ, this purpose, it's really great news, but you can't do it in every context. For instance, this has no relation to what people call consumer Christianity. Consumer Christianity is a kind of Christianity that is more about what we get. What we get. Consumer, right? Makes sense. It's not about loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Rather, what's it about? It's about what we can get from God. It's not about submission and service and the joy of the Lord. It's about how can I profit from this as if God was primarily a self-help guru. Dallas Willard wrote this about consumer Christianity. Consumer Christianity is now normative, meaning that's kind of the way it goes, kind of the way people are. The consumer Christian is one who utilizes the grace of God for forgiveness and the services of the church for special occasions, but does not give his or her life and innermost thoughts, feelings, and intentions over to the kingdom of the heavens. Such Christians are not inwardly transformed and not committed to it. Anybody can fall into that. We're very wealthy in this country. We're very wealthy in this country. Easy to fall into consumer Christianity. What can you do for me? But inward transformation, the kind of thing that makes you able to go and do the giftings and the purpose that God has for you, right? Those good works that he's prepared for him that you should walk in them, it requires transformation, a renewed mind. And in order to do that, we can't just be kind of halfway in or we're looking for what God can do, we have to become a living sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. That's not a small thing he's asking for. He's saying, you turn it over to me, which is your reasonable, your rational service. Of course it is. He saved you. And do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We are his. We are totally and wholly his. His will is what we want. Not ours. The more that you know him, the more that you'll feel that way. The more that you see how good his will is, the more that you'll trust him in it, the more that you'll want his will and not your own. We are submitted to his grace and his mercy and his gifts and his calling. We have to think about God all the time, all the time. Wake up thinking about him, go to work thinking about him, think about him when you're in relationship, whether that's friends, whether that's your spouse, your kids, think about him. Think about him when you go to bed, think about God. He's important. He's who our lives are about. We've got to live our lives properly before him, understanding the importance of what he has called us to do. We have to let him work through us. We have to do all this in a world where not only the unbeliever doesn't care about God and, in fact, fights against God, but even those many who identify themselves as Christians do not seem to care much about God either. It's a book called The Millennials, where they surveyed a whole bunch of people in that age group some years back. Um, and they found some issues. And honestly, I think these issues apply to every generation. It just happens to be that they were studying millennials. But they basically asked people, how important is your religion to you? This is what they found. This is from their book. Overall, spiritual matters were unimportant to these young adults. Only 13% of them viewed religion and spiritual matters with any degree of importance. What is shocking to see is to see how certain subgroups responded. For example, among the millennials who are self-described Christians, only 18% said their religion was important to them. Among those who held to basic Christian doctrine, the majority of self-described Christians do not, surprise, surprise, only 38% said their faith was important. There's only one group in our study where a majority said their faith was important to them. We called them evangelicals because they held to all of the major historic and biblical doctrines of the Christian faith, including the total veracity, or truth, 
of the Bible. In that group, still only 65% said their faith was important to them. But that number can't be verified in our study with statistical accuracy since only 6% of millennials could be described as evangelicals. So there's about 6% of people that actually believe properly about who God is, who they are, what the scripture is. And only 65% of that 6% thought it was important. It's a kind of small number. Kind of a small number. It needs to be 100% here. 100% knowing God, knowing the scripture, believing in him, and thinking it's important. How can someone have faith in God, the God of the universe, and not have it be important to them? We're talking about the creator of the universe. How is that not important? Ah, That's not important to me, you know? I got video games to play, you know? Whatever it is, I got to go fishing. God's not that important. If you believe in God and you believe the things we have just studied about your gift and your calling as a Christ follower, your faith is important to you. You can't believe those things and not have your faith be important to you. If someone asks you, you go, it's not really that important. There's a problem. You don't believe the scripture if you say that. You may, be, you may believe it in some rough way, like, yeah, I think the Bible is true or whatever, but you obviously haven't read it if you don't think it's important. That, you're, that some temporal pleasures and whatever on this earth would even compare to using your giftings and your purpose for the eternal purposes that it is when you're going to live forever, and you go, it's not important. It's not important. That's not going to work. If you believe in Jesus and you're a Christ follower, you will do what he has called you to do. I know it's 1124, and if you got to go, go. i gotta, I got to keep going here. i got some stuff left. Sometimes we're only willing to do what he calls us to do if it is also what we really already want to do. This is not a new problem, okay? The Israelites uh, had a, a big problem. They had dishonored God, and God allowed the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to come and take them out, okay? So then there's this remnant of them that's left, and they're, and they're afraid of the Babylonians, and they want to run away to Egypt, Okay, that's what they want to do. So they go to Jeremiah the prophet and they go, hey, will you ask God for us? We'll be faithful, do whatever God commands us to do, whether we like it or not. We want to go to Egypt, but if that's not what God wants, you know, tell us what God wants. It says this, Jeremiah 42, 1 through 7. Now all the captains of the forces, Johanan, the son of Korea, Jezaniah, the son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least to the greatest came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet, please listen to this. Let our petition be acceptable to you and pray for us to the Lord your God for all this remnant, since we are left but a few of many, as you can see, that the Lord your God may show us the way in which we should walk and the thing we should do. Now, that's a great thing to pray for. That's what we've been talking about this whole time. Show us the way we should walk and the thing we should do. Then Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard. Indeed, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your words, and it shall be that whatever the Lord answers you, I will declare it to you. I will keep nothing back from you. So they said to Jeremiah, let the Lord be a true and faithful witness between us if we do not do according to everything which the Lord your God sends us by you. Whether it is pleasing or displeasing, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God whom, to whom we send you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. And it happened after 10 days that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Now, you got these people and they're saying all the right stuff. Please go. We want to do this. But go to God. Whatever he wants us to do, we're going to do. We're going to obey him. Displeasing, pleasing, doesn't matter. We're going to do what he says, right? They're all, it sounds really churchy. They're like, they're really, they're really there. They're saying all the right stuff, right? So then 10 days later, the Lord speaks to Jeremiah. And what does he tell him? He says, do not go to Egypt. If you stay here in the land, you'll be safe. I will take care of you. I will take care of you if you stay here. If you go, it's going to be real bad. Real bad. This is what it says, 42, 17, the last part of the verse. They shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence, and none of them shall remain or escape from the disaster that I will bring upon them. That's what's going to happen if they go. Jeremiah tells this to them, right? So, of course, what they're going to do is be like, well, we said, whatever God said, we're going to do it, right? That's, of course, what they're going to do. No, that's not what they did. Beginning of chapter 43. Now, what happened when Jeremiah had stopped speaking to all the people, telling them that they're not supposed to go, all the words of the Lord their God, for which the Lord their God had sent them, sent him to them all these words that Azariah, the son of Hoshiah, Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the proud men 
proud man, spoke, saying to Jeremiah, you speak falsely. The Lord our God has not sent you to say, do not go to Egypt to dwell there. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, has set you against us to deliver us into the hands of the Chaldeans, that they may put us to death or carry us away captive to Babylon. So Johanan, the son of Korea, all the captains of the forces and all the people would not obey the voice of the Lord to remain in the land of Judah. Now, I know that we'd love to think that we're Jeremiah in that story. You're not. I'm not. We're them. God, whatever you want me to do. Not that. Not that. But whatever you Nope, not that either. Listen, here's what I need you to do. Here's what I'm going to do. Please tell me that I can do it. All right? That's more what we're like. But you know what? You have a purpose and a plan and giftings, and God may send you to Africa, Indonesia, Honduras, down the street to your neighbor's house, wherever it is. He may send you to use your gift somewhere, and sometimes you're not going to want to do it. And you're going to go, no, that's not the voice of the Lord. And he's going to be like, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's my voice. And you're going to be like them. Because when Jonah did that, he got eaten by a large fish. Right? You want to be in the arms of God, you want to be in the belly of a fish. You're going to have to make that choice. This is what they did. This is not what we are to do. You've got to believe God. You have to trust him with your calling. Psalm 125.1, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. We cannot be moved when we trust the Lord like a house built on the rock. But we want to trust ourselves. Our flesh is in sin. It doesn't want to submit. That's why we present our bodies a living sacrifice that we might be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That's the only way that when God says do and we don't want to do, we'll do anyway. And let me just tell you from my own personal experience, when God says do and you do, the blessings are beyond what you can believe. Even, even though sometimes you don't get to see it all at first. Some of y'all are planners. If Julie's up from her bed watching this, she knows what I'm talking about. Some people are like, I need to know what time, who, where, when, why, whatever. I'm like, I'm just trying to get us from here to there. Like, can you just, can you trust me at some level? And God's saying, you got to trust me sometimes. Because your gifts and your purpose and his plan are all going together. And you got to follow him. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, out on the wall. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He's got all the authority. Now, what does he do with it? He goes, hey, I'm authorizing you. What does he authorize you to do? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Listen, go where I send you. This is about your calling. This is the Great Commission. This applies to every one of us. And then within it, you have an individual purpose within it. And the first thing he says, when he says, I've got the authority, I'm authorizing you. Now go. There's no sit. He doesn't say, stay where you are and playeth video games. <laughs> it's not what it says. Okay? And I don't care if you have video games or whatever. That's fine. Just not too much. Okay? Go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's the do what I say to do. Go and do what I say to do. Very simple. Very simple to understand. Very hard to do. Unless we present our bodies a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to him. And then he transforms us. This is all really good news that you're gifted, that you're called, that you have a purpose. If you can remember that every day when you get up, every time somebody makes you feel less than, every time somebody others you, every time someone treats you badly, if you can remember, I, dude, I was fashioned. I'm the workmanship of God, created for good works, that he's prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. No one can take that from me. Not today, Satan, right? Not today, whoever wants to come against me and say these things. I am in him. And then you go and do what he's called you to do. This is all good news. If you don't know Jesus today, today's the day for you to know him. Go ahead and let's bring the band up. That first thing that we talked about early on, the dividing line between unbeliever and Christ follower you want to step into purpose and gifting and calling and all that? 
you got to be a Christ follower. Today's the day for that. You are a Christ follower and you haven't understood this? Understand it today. Start asking what your gifts are and what the purpose and plan and calling and vocation for your life is. If you need to pray today, whether that's to accept Jesus Christ and follow him as Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, or if you need to pray about something else or you're sick or you're struggling, we have people that want to pray with you right back through those doors, right past the bathrooms. We have a prayer room. I'm going to ask some of our folks to go back there now while we're singing. Go ahead and get up and go back there and receive prayer. We're here to do that, to ask God for his will to be done. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, God, that you've given us gifts. I can't believe you've given us gifts. Have you seen my life? You have. That's why you died for me. God, thank you for the gifts you've given us. Thank you that we have a purpose, that we aren't just meat sacks, man monkeys running around, but you have prepared beforehand good works for us, gifted us to do them and empowered us by your Holy Spirit. He's empowering us to do them. Father, we love you. God, I pray you'd be with this people, your people. I pray you'd make this church strong. I pray that we would go against the gates of hell and set the captives free in your power, by your will. Thank you for the strength to get up and preach. Thank you for the strength for those who came here this morning or turned this on online. They might hear your word. And God, we pray we would focus on your word each day. We would read the scripture. We'd go through that Bible and a year plan on the app. Whatever it happens to be, Lord, help us to be serious because you're so good. I love you, Lord, in your name. Amen.